This is another episode of Clean Tech Talk in which Clean Technica interviews clean tech leaders from around the world. Today we're talking with Tasha Keeney, an ARK Invest analyst focused on autonomous vehicles and AI. This is the second part of a two-part discussion with Tasha Keeney, an ARK Invest analyst focused on autonomous vehicles and 3D printing. Listen to the first portion of our conversation or read a summary of it on your favorite podcasting platform or on cleantechnica.com. So there's a thing, you know, when people talk about the price of Tesla vehicles, uh, which are already extremely cost competitive in certain key key segments, uh, we don't really talk about the fact that there's so much hardware in them. So so they're cost competitive, but they're also packed with hardware that's going to pay off not in one year, maybe maybe in, within a year, depending on what, what people buy, but but more in in future. So. How do you see? How do you approach that <laughs> that that point, especially when thinking about investment in the company? Yeah, I mean, a, a Tesla is a Tesla the only car on the road that actually improves when it leaves the lot. Um, and uh, you know, as as we're sort of making this comparison to traditional autos, I mean, if you think of just how the industry is set up, um, the auto supply chain is is pretty entrenched. I mean, these companies have just never had control. Um, so, so Tesla is vertically integrated, right? Um, uh, much more so than than any other player. And uh, traditional automakers never had control of the the full software stack of of you know sort of all the the hardware decisions and they're sort of piecing together decisions from from other separate outside companies um, in, in terms of you know which which hardware to to use. So, so I think um, overcoming that is. Um, I mean, we think. We think in the next ten years, a lot of companies could just go out of business. Um, and and you know, on the the cost side, we've heard uh, you know, Porsche and Audi did a teardown of the Model Three, and were surprised at at sort of how inexpensive Tesla was able to create these components. And now that they've released the um, the lowest price version, I, I think other automakers should and probably are uh, scared at this point. Yeah, we had there was UBS had an, had a had a report last year that was getting a lot of attention. Uh, that was focused on saying a, a Tesla Model Three costs like fifty three thousand dollars or something to build, and we had someone we, we had someone dive in and uh, go into it in detail, and they were assuming market prices for for technologies that Tesla that builds in house that are like military grade or space grade, where where you have on the market it would cost a fortune, but Tesla does it in house for like a tiny fraction of that. So then you end up with a you know if you don't if you're not, if you're not a, taking into account Tesla's vertical integration, you're not evaluating correctly. So we were, we were a bit shocked. I mean, sort of shocked, but also you know this guy had always recommended selling Tesla and always recommended buying GM. So we knew there was historical bias there. But but um, that you know we talked about vertical integration. We toured the seat factory, which is there's only three seat companies that supply automaker all the other automakers. Yeah. And then Tesla just decided to in-house it. So we, we looked at the vertical integration from the manufacturing side, but the software side is probably even more important. Yeah. What, what's your, how do you sort of, how do you quantify, how do you quantify and evaluate that, that part of their vertical integration? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, and, and it's sort of like marrying the two that I, I think um, makes it really valuable to Tesla. I mean, it's, it's both, um, you know, they, they choose, they, they can optimize the hardware for the software. And a great example of that is their, um, you know, their, their replacement for the NVIDIA chip that's currently in the car um, for, the, for the next generation of, of hardware. I mean, no, 
One, I think um, just the fact that they're creating their own their own chip for autonomous shows that their program is far enough along that they can make those decisions. Okay, like, you know, how much processing power do we need? Sort of sort of how do I optimize this? Um, and, and also just, you know, no other automaker is, is really quite there yet. And, and they don't even have the talent or the capability to create a chip if they wanted to. I mean, Tesla acquired a team from AMD to do that specifically. Um, so, and, and then, and then to, t- to talk quickly on on, on value, I mean, we think that the autonomous driving space should be valued at $2 trillion in the equity markets today. And it, it's really just not accounted for. I mean, we're just seeing um, sell side analysts sort of put valuations on, on these companies. And, and, you know, we just, again, haven't seen a lot of value assigned to Tesla for this at all. I love your expertise. You know, I'm always basically, I see my job is trying to put pieces of a puzzle together. And uh, like in this interview, you've already popped out several big pieces or segments of the puzzle. So it's really great. Just a little comment from you with your expertise puts things into a different perspective, uh, you know, flips the piece around or something. Um, so the, uh, yeah, valuing it, that's, that's, I think people just don't understand. They'd have no idea. I think even experts, a lot of experts have feel like they have no idea who's going to win out, who's going to, yes. so there's, tremendous money to be put on it but nobody knows who to put it on right so yeah and even go ahead no you go ahead (laughs) even even the um the automakers that are pursuing this i mean the ceo of daimler said on the past earnings call something like you know there's no there's no real business case that's proven out for autonomy yet and i mean daimler's investing you know a lot of money they they just joined the program with bmw it's like you're pursuing this and, and you haven't figured out how to value it yet. I mean, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of confusion out there. It's weird when you sometimes think the PR people seem to have a better idea of the issue than the <laughs> executive. But, but uh, well, you know, I think, yeah, well, well Waymo's valuation is, is, I think, higher than, than Tesla's, which is, uh, which is in itself sort of says something. Like there's a lot of analysts that I think are not valuing Tesla's autonomy at all. They have zero value on it. Yeah. Because they assume Tesla's just going to lose out. Maybe they look at a navigant report and they think Tesla's on the bottom of the pack. They're not going to get it. Um, I did, that blows my mind because whether it's the best system or not, it's it's clear Tesla's got something quite valuable. That that is, you know, even last quarter they basically just dropped the price a bit. And how many people came in and bought three thousand or five thousand dollars worth of software that? Tesla didn't have to do anything for it, just just turn a button or whatever. The uh, I, I like your your mention of the marrying the, the 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 hardware and the software, which I think Elon on one call emphasized they could really tailor the hardware they need to the, to what they need in the car. And all, all other automakers again are going to have to go to Nvidia or someone to just get a standard product. But on the the marrying the hardware and software, we were going through the the factory in Fremont a couple of weeks ago and talked to the some of the top engineers on the model three production line, other lines. And uh, one interesting thing was how they track every single piece. And then they're constantly improving their manufacturing process by tracking every piece and seeing anytime something goes wrong, where it originated, where that problem originated, how it happened, and then fixing that, you know, slightly improving that. And that Mm -hmm. whole system was something Tesla built that no other automaker, as far as they understand, has have you what's your thought on that kind of you know the the mirroring the software and hardware on that level on the manufacturing level yeah i mean um 
I, I think, well, in general, I mean, Tesla's been really focused on manufacturing. When we, when we met Elon, he, you know, he, he made this comment that, you know, that's something that traditional automakers have. I mean, manufacturing is a hard problem. Um, but as we've been talking about, I think the, the vertical integration really um, plays out in Tesla's favor in, in just so many ways. Um, I mean, not in just sort of making um, simplification decisions in, in terms of, yeah, centralizing uh, a computer in the vehicle or, or, or what have you. But, um, but yeah, in, in, in terms of sort of choosing the right hardware for, for the, the, the software that you need, um, we think that an NVIDIA product that would be comparable to the, the chip that Tesla's creating is probably not even going to come to market until a couple of years after. So then if you're a traditional automaker and you have to use an off-the-shelf solution, I mean, you're already behind on data and, and you're now behind on hardware as well. Um, so, so that's a huge advantage. Yeah, you add up the years they're behind on hardware potentially it's software battery manufacturing it gets it just gets very hard to not I, I look for diversification options and I'm just I, I get stuck with this problem it's like well Tesla looks like such a special beast and it's so hard to find anyone else like that but uh to to come you you mentioned earlier I have two final topics or questions uh you mentioned earlier the uh, that you could see companies going out of business and something I think a lot of people just sort of um write off is how how little a company actually has to lose in sales or how much it has to miss its expectations to be in serious trouble. Of course, um, the big auto collapse in 2008 uh, period, th this wasn't like 50% drop in sales. This was actually like between like 13 and 20% drop in, in sales from year to year. Uh, so is that how you're looking at it? You just that they're going to potentially have a big, uh, you know, a 10 to 20% drop in demand from not having its competitive products or, or something else? Yeah, when we, so, you know, the auto industry is undergoing two, these two major transformations, the transformation to electric cars and to autonomy. And so if, if you're not successful on, on either of those platforms, um, we, we don't think that you're, you're likely to be around. And it's, it's really mostly um, just on simple costs. So uh, we, we think that, you know, consumers are going to be motiva motivated by a sticker price of, of the vehicle and um, batteries. You know, again, my, my colleague Sam has done a lot of great work. Batteries are just uh, de decreasing in cost and really gas-powered cars are just going to be more and more expensive with emission standards. Um, okay. So, so once an EV is uh, cheaper on a like-for-like like basis with a gas-powered car, um, the consumer has a really easy decision. And then um, an, an autonomous vehicle, um, I mean, these EVs just make more sense for autonomous fleets. I mean, they have lower operating cost. Um, we've, we've heard that sort of the, yeah, the hardware software integration is a little bit easier on an electric platform. Um, so, so then, you know, that's going to sort of just accelerate that, that trend. And uh, uh, it's, it's really, as, as I think, a scary picture right now for the traditional guys. I mean, I, I feel like they're sort of scrambling. Um, yeah. and, and, and I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm not hoping that, you know, everyone goes out of business that would Tesla can't produce that many cars in that time frame. So we need companies to be able to produce attractive electric vehicles in my perspective. So, mm -hmm. uh, but, but going to these, um, you uh, you sort of have two stages. You have this stage where the Tesla Model 3 is now competitive with, with other cars in its class, potentially with the Camry or the Accord if you're counting total cost of ownership. 
but that's without the autopilot. So that's then you add on the autopilot and it's a more expensive vehicle. But there's going to be another stage, it sounds like, um, where you would have, where it's expected to have that technology, where, you, where it's like co- consumers go from this being a nice add-on to this being a requirement. And at that stage where it's just expected that your car that you buy has have these features, you're going to have a situation where, te- of course, Tesla has them, other companies have them, but other companies have to charge a lot more for them. So then it's like uh, you have, the, I think, a more dramatic difference in what you see as cost competitive because you see tesla having everything you want for a lower cost versus other automakers having everything you want only for a higher cost which would be a big difference than today so stepping back so the what i found interesting on that podcast with Elon about about y'all is you have this um kind of uh you have a very strong long-term vision you're all about it seems the long-term taking into account not who's leading even today or tomorrow or next year, but who's going to be leading in, in five to 10 years or something. I'm not sure what your time frame is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you seem to be, you're taking all these things into consideration because your vision is longer. Is that an accurate uh, representation? And, and if either, either way, can you speak a little bit more about how your approach is unique? Yeah. Um, you know, across the board, we're long-term investors when we look at disruptive technology Um and, and something like autonomous cars, you sort of need to have this long-term framework to even um, really support those investment decisions as, as an investor. So, um, and that's, that's a problem for the traditional autos as well, that their investor base isn't expecting them. You know, they've, they've sort of stuck with them as, uh, you know, companies that pay, that pay dividends and are, are sort of in this more traditional industry. And, and now they have to transition to technology companies that require uh, really heavy investments to make autonomous happen. Um, so, so when we, when we value the space, we tend to look five to 10 years out. Um, our investment horizon is, is, is five years in terms of a, a price return. And we've actually done some analysis to show that um, even, you know, the, the penetration rate on autonomous technology might not be sort of at that majority share within that that five year time frame, but it'll become obvious to investors that it's going to happen. So the the value will actually accrue um, sooner to those companies than than say the fifty percent or eighty percent penetration rate. We think, um, and and That's so when- my, some of my favorite investment advisors have impressed that upon me where you're not just thinking when will things change, but when will investors recognize that things change? And even like today, they might recognize, but when will they move on that recognition, right? So, Right, right. It'll, it'll sort of become clearer, we think, once the, te- the technology like first commercializes and, and, and we see these cars on the road. Um, and, and so when, when you look at a company like Tesla and if you're judging it on like quarterly, monthly production figures, I mean, that's... I mean, that's just the wrong way to do it. You're, you're missing um, the, the forest for the trees at that point. It's like you're stuck in this little corner of the puzzle and, and thinking this is the whole picture. Uh, yeah. And well, it also often just comes down to, do you believe, do you believe Elon? Do you trust that he's quite accurate telling the truth? And of course, you, you dive in very detail into the technology, but it sort of comes down to, well, do you believe that they're you know two to three years out from full autonomy and you just have you have this kind of weird split in this in this weird market where some of these players just absolutely think it's all a scam i don't understand at this level at this stage when you see see hundreds of thousands of cars you see records broken you see like in norway we had a story yesterday 
that uh, Tesla sold more vehicles in Norway last month than all fossil fuel vehicles combined. So it had 31% of the market and uh, overall plugins had something like, like uh, 60 or, or, or something percent. Uh, so when you have this kind of landmark points, I just don't understand how you still don't don't have faith in what they and what what they are aiming for and what they've said they would like to achieve what they plan to achieve and it, yeah. it bewilders me yeah you know i I think there's this this idea that there there might be a demand problem, which to us is ridiculous i mean they've had so much success in the u s i mean not just in electric vehicles um you know they're they're taking we saw the Toyota CEO of North America say that the Prius defection rate is something like nine percent and toyota's uh, sorry Tesla is half of that um I mean and they just started delivering the model three to other markets i I mean I think it's well, the demand the demand thing i I, I think midterm to long term, there can absolutely be no no problem with demand, in my opinion, because you just have a completely disruptive vehicle that's way better than anything else in the in the price. Uh, in the near term, you know, I can see them trying to hype that issue or believing there will be an issue because you have a question of how how quickly will that customer base refill, based on word of mouth, based on Tesla's. Uh, marketing approach but you still have markets that haven't gotten a model 3 yet you still have no leasing so they haven't even offered leasing on a model 3 yet and much of the market only leases so it seems like there's still room to run before you're going to have uh have to you know make sure that 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 word of mouth is working but absolutely and i mean they don't tesla doesn't advertise so you'd think that if they needed to turn that on they would yeah, there's some people just, <laughs> just begging for them to run a national ad just so more people are aware of it. I mean, you still have so much of the market. You ask them what they know about Tesla. Either they don't know the company or they have a few ideas in their head about going to go into it. But the stuff that the, the, the negative stories that the mainstream media sort of funnels to them every day. Uh, well, well, thank you so much for your analysis. Um, really appreciate the, the many puzzle pieces you threw into this short chat and your expertise on the, on the technology and what y'all are doing. Uh, do you have any, any final words, any final thoughts on, uh, on Tesla or on, on what, you, what you all do in general across the board, maybe outside of Tesla even? Yeah, you know, I think um, in general, like I, I already touched on this before, but I, I think in, innovation can, can really surprise. Um, I think we're, we're at a time where um, we're undergoing these dramatic transformations in AI and that, and that doesn't just affect vehicles. It, we, we think this could affect every industry. Um, and, it, and it's very hard to predict, but, but we think if, if anything, we've, we've sort of seen so far that it, it comes much sooner than you expect. I did a podcast recording with Nancy Fund last week, uh, who was an early VC investor in Tesla and SpaceX and SolarCity, like very early. And this inflection point thing is a fascinating one. This is, you know, I've given presentations all over the world, India, UAE, Europe, US. And uh, I, whenever I have to give a presentation, I, I'm, I'm presented with the idea, well, what do I really focus on? Like, what's the real big story, not the, you know, day-to-day -day news that we're covering? And I do these presentations basically on inflection points, on these, these big, uh, you know, how disruptive technology works, how it comes, how it changes the market. And it seems like this is just often lost is that you have this, you have this, this interesting process of change where you have a technology that's too, too, too expensive niche, slowly gets less expensive. 
mm-hmm. and you have this crossover point where all of a sudden the technology is competitive. And then it's just a matter of a kind of word of mouth experience and lag before the mass market starts to understand it. And there's a lot of ways to try to tell this story, but it, it's just sort of hard to, for people to, to see in the moment or even after a couple of years, it, t- it takes a while. What your, what's your general understanding of how this human process or societal process works with this technology and, and how we miss it over and over and over? Yeah, um, well, we, we use something called Wright's Law to model a lot of our technology to cost, uh, cost decline curve. So that, so that says, um, you know, for every, uh, every cumulative doubling in production, you get a corresponding reduction in cost. Um, so, uh, and, and, and then, uh, you know, when we look at adoption curves, again, you sort of have to model that inflection point that we're talking about. I, I think often the forecasts that we see that seem to be dramatically different from ours are those that tend to be backward looking. So I'm going to look over the last five years, see what's happened, and then maybe I increase my growth rate a little bit, um, but I'm not sort of doing that forward thinking analysis. Um, I, I think that's. I mean, are they using like linear? Are they looking at potential exponential growth, or are they looking at just linear change? I, some of it's some of it's linear. Um, of course, you know, we we think it it can be exponential growth. But even, um, you know, even even if you're thinking of this at exponential growth, and you're not sort of picking out, okay, when is that inflection point going to happen? Um, I, I think that's that's when you can sort of be dramatically off. Um, and and again, it's you know, it's like these are things that are dramatically changing the future. You have to you have to be forward looking to even address them. Um, so uh, that, that's something that we try to keep in mind. Well, thank you so much. Anyone interested who enjoyed this uh, conversation, for sure, try to, I would recommend you check out our, our podcast with uh, Nancy Fund of DBL Partners, Russ Gerber of Gerber Kawasaki. We're talking with uh, Galileo of Hyperchange TV today as well. And I'm sure we'll talk about similar topics. I don't know the order these podcasts are going to come out in, but uh, I think they, they all interlink. They're all they're all different, fascinating portions of, of the discussion, in my opinion. So thank you for joining in. Um, good luck with your, your work, your, your fun and research, I'm sure, and your investments. Thanks and of course, nothing here, is, nothing here is investment advice. We're just oh, yes. having fun discussing. You had a great disclaimer it went like for 30 seconds at the beginning of your podcast. I guess we need something like nothing here is investment advice. We're just having fun discussing the topic. Right, exactly. None of these are recommendations. Uh, This is sort of just our view on the market.